Hello, and thanks for joining us for Episode 6 of Speaking of MedTech, a podcast series from MedTech Insight on all things medical devices. I'm MedTech Insight Executive Editor Sean Schmidt. And I'm Steve Silverman, a former Compliance Director for the U.S. Food and Drug Administration's Device Center. I'm now head of the Silverman Group, a consultancy for industry. On today's show, we're breaking out the old crystal ball to give a few predictions of what could be in store for industry and the FDA's Center for Devices and Radiological Health, or CDRH, in 2022. From the ongoing pandemic, yes, we're so sick of talking about it too, to digital devices and facility inspections, there's a lot of ground to cover. Right, Steve? Yeah, that's right, Sean. I'm sick of COVID, too, and I'd be happy to never talk about it again, even though we do have to talk about some stuff a little bit in this podcast. So let's focus instead on what else CDRH is up to this year. I just published an article on that subject, which you can find at medtechinsight.com. And I stick by the topics that I covered. That is, in 2022, look for the impact of a new FDA commissioner, Dr. Robert Califf, passage of Medufa 5, the industry device user fee funding package, more device facility inspections, especially in the U.S., and greater focus on digital devices. Um, That's a hugely ambitious agenda, and these items are equally important. So it'll be interesting to see which of them gets hammered out, which ones get started, and which ones get put on a back burner. So the pandemic obviously is casting a long shadow over, well, basically everything. And obviously it's a bit difficult to predict the unpredictable, but let's talk about COVID now anyway, just to get it out of the way. Sounds good to me. So let's start with a broad overview. What do you think CDRH pandemic activities will look like as the year unfolds? I think that we're going to see more of the same with some differences. So what's that mean? First, the lesson of Delta, Omicron, and whatever comes next is that the COVID public health emergency isn't going away anytime soon. So we're going to keep seeing emergency use authorizations or EUAs. These are time-limited measures that allow devices to get to market without traditional product review through PMAs or 510Ks. But I don't expect to see EUA submission volume like we saw in 2022 and 2021. We've got a good inventory of preventive and protective measures already, and even with the new COVID variants, there's limited need for new products. This means that a smaller part of CDRH will be consumed with EUA reviews. Towards the end of 2021, CDRH had already resumed normal operations across the product center, so staff was able to return to more standard product review instead of pandemic activities. The notable exception is CDRH Office of Health Technology 7, typically referred to as OHT7. OHT7 is responsible for in vitro diagnostics, which are a huge part of the products for which companies seek EUAs. Plus, IVDs are really complex and important, meaning that standardized or expedited review is off the table. OHT7 has been burning the candle at both ends and in the middle to keep up with pandemic demands. This means staff pulled from ordinary responsibilities to review and otherwise deal with pandemic products with little time for non-COVID submissions. That model is going to continue. To its credit, OHT7 has managed some non-COVID product review, which should increase later this year. But I think we're one serious COVID variant away 
from that train going off the tracks. Also important, Sean, late last year, CDRH released preliminary documents describing how it expects to return to full normal operations. That's promising. And it signals that CDRH believes that we're getting close to the new normal, whatever that is. But this return presumes no new outbreaks that demand an all-hands-on-deck response. And I just don't see how we can reliably predict that result. How do you see the center's ongoing response to COVID impacting product review times? Um, Obviously, the center has been struggling with that. I think we all know. Um, But do you see that getting better? In answering, Sean, I want to talk about now versus the rest of 2022. So let's start with now. CDRH's pandemic activities have caused serious delays across the center. Perhaps most seriously, we see this in missed user fee deadlines. That is, in exchange for industry funding, CDRH agrees to various deliverables, like reviewing X percent of 510k filings within Y days. Historically, CDRH has met these user fee commitments, but pandemic responsibilities have made this level of performance impossible. This year, Assuming nothing totally out of the blue, review times should improve. And we're already seeing signs of progress. Like we discussed, most CDRH staff have returned to normal, including on-time product review. Even outliers like OHT7 are making progress on COVID and non-COVID submissions. As we move forward this year, I think that things are going to get better. That means adequate and timely product review across the center. And what about communications with stakeholders? Better, worse, stay the same? What do you see? I'd say improved, and they're going to get better. To explain this optimism, I want to focus on a key tool that CDRH uses to communicate with device sponsors, which is the pre-submission meeting. Pre-sub meetings serve multiple ends. For example, before marketing submissions, Sponsors can talk with CDRH staff about submission issues, get feedback on data presentation, or explore hurdles to device approval or clearance. Industry relies on pre-sub meetings, and CDRH likes these meetings because they front load and help streamline submissions. But in the heart of the pandemic, CDRH put these meetings on hold. It just didn't have the resources to plan and staff them. But that's now changing with a general return to pre-sub meetings. Even OHT7 has resumed them on a limited basis, so thank PMA submissions, and it hopes to make pre-sub meetings generally available later this year. I think that pre-sub meetings are the ghost of Christmases to come. CDRH has been all in on stakeholder communication for years, using tools like pre-sub meetings and speeches, stakeholder forums, and public comments to get diverse input. The center had to pull back on these tools to focus exclusively on COVID, and I think that was a tough exercise. Now the landscape is a bit better, and CDRH will broaden its stakeholder outreach. But does the device center have the resources, you know, staff and technology, to handle its continued pandemic activities? Because, you know, as you said earlier in the podcast, you wrote an opinion piece for medtechinsight.com that looked at this and you wrote, quote, staff retention and departures will not return normal. So explain why that is and will these departures limit the center's capabilities when fighting the pandemic? Good question. And this is a nut that still hasn't been cracked. We've talked about the environment for CDRH staff. 
worked 24-7 to fight COVID on multiple fronts, getting good products quickly to market, getting trash off the market, revising and disseminating new policies and the like. Now, those staff members can pick up their heads a little and look around. And what do they see? Their friends and relatives are finding new jobs that are meaningful, pay better, and let them work at home in their pajamas. Some CDRH staffers are going to say, yeah, I want some of that. This means staff departures and replacing lost staff is awful. First, there's the administrative hurdle of getting new positions cleared, advertised, and filled. Then, months or more later, when staff is hired, these new hires must be onboarded and trained. That's a tough, time-consuming process, but it's critical because even talented recruits need to learn their jobs. And the icing on this really bad cake is that while these steps are happening, more staff is leaving. That's just ordinary attrition. So the hiring process is never ending and CDRH can't seem to get ahead of it. I joined CDRH in 2009 and I've been watching this process ever since. I've seen some progress around the edges, but the core problems remain. One more COVID related question and we'll move on. I wish we could move on from COVID totally, but I digress. So tell me, how do you foresee CDRH handling its current work backlog, including for product reviews and facility inspections? You know, I asked the agency to share some inspection figures with me for the last fiscal year, which ended on September 30th of, you know, 2021. The FDA's data showed that it conducted only roughly a quarter of device inspections that it had planned. And by contrast, it inspected about 50% of the drug companies it had on its inspections list. That's not a good look going into 2022. So what do you think, especially given that new COVID variant is popping up every few months? We've talked about product reviews, but inspections are a different case and a super interesting one. So here's the problem. Since early 2020, a huge device inspection backlog, thousands of device inspections has built up, and these inspections need to happen before CDRH gets back to ground zero. That's just to clear the backlog. It reminds me of Mickey Mouse in The Sorcerer's Apprentice. While CDRH accomplishes a few inspections, magic brooms show up with new ones that keep piling up and up. Unfortunately, there's no wizard to take care of this problem. There's one faint bright light, though, and that's the proposed Medical Device Integrity Act, or MEDIA. MEDIA would give FDA the same authority for device inspections as it already has for drug inspections. This means that device inspections can happen remotely, for example, through document review. That's a huge plus because when FDA can't get to manufacturing sites for live inspections, it can still use off-site document review to make site assessments. The problem is that Medaya is, in the words of Schoolhouse Rock, just a bill. With everything else happening in 2022, from device user fees to the 21st Century Cures reboot to midterm elections, I don't think that we can count on Medaya getting through Congress this year. That means it won't have a meaningful impact on the massive inspection backlog in the near term. And it's all about the hybrid inspections now, even post-pandemic. And that includes those new remote regulatory assessments, um, or RRAs, even though they're not so new now, I guess they've been around for about a year. Honestly, Sean, I don't get RRAs. It seems like FDA is saying, hey, device company, it would be great to check your records. But just to be clear, this is not an inspection, although if we find problems, we can act on them. 
if you do agree to go on the IRA, that's great. We may consider that in planning inspections, but maybe not. So where's the appeal? Why would a company incur the time, expense, and disruption of an RRA when it doesn't have to? I know that some companies participate in RRAs, and I don't want to belittle that choice, but I suspect that these companies' motives may include being a good FDA citizen rather than a decision on the merits. I really think that the better option is remote device inspections. I've written about this topic for medtechinsight.com, and we've covered it in an episode of this podcast. We talked about it a moment ago, so I don't want to retread that discussion. Let's just highlight one point. We have to find a way to make most device inspections one and done. This means when FDA conducts a remote document review, that's it. The agency doesn't get to come back a month later to look at the same issues and documents, but this time in person. If FDA is consistently using remote inspections to get two bites at the apple, why would industry support that inspection approach? And the FDA hasn't planned a surveillance inspection of a foreign manufacturer since early 2020. Um, You know, now two years later, they're still not being planned. So what's the future of foreign inspections look like, do you think? I mean... These investigators can't travel easily, have weeks taken up by mandatory quarantines, on and on. I'm really skeptical about the return of in-person foreign inspections, Sean. It's 2022, and we've seen more than two years of sidelined foreign inspections, and there's no end in sight. When will FDA get back to live foreign inspections? I think the real question is whether FDA will ever get back to those inspections. Wow, that's super scary when you lay it out like that. And, you know, I think about the quality of these foreign products will probably suffer because of that. I'm not sure that the absence of live foreign inspections threatens product quality, Sean. And I think actually the absence of foreign inspections at all is more of a threat to product quality. But the crazy thing is that FDA doesn't need live inspections. International regulators already use technology in place of live inspections, conducting remote document review and sometimes viewing images from device facilities. Using this technology, FDA can kill a lot of birds with one stone. First, live foreign inspections have always been a hassle for FDA. Challenges run from the need to pre-announce these inspections to travel to hiring interpreters, so the list just goes on and on. Those problems go bye-bye when inspections are remote. Second, it's not even clear that FDA requires formal authority for remote device inspections, but Congress is going to give it that authority anyway. So there's green lights on the road to remote device inspections, and when the alternative is zero inspections, it's hard to see how FDA takes a different road. One quick caveat. I'm not saying that there should never be live foreign inspections. It takes two seconds to think of examples when live inspections are a must. So here's one, when FDA needs to look at a foreign site because of concerns about fraud. My point is just that those situations are the exception, not the rule. There's little to be gained and lots to be lost from a standard live foreign inspection requirement. We've already pointed out that there's a backlog of device facility inspections, and I don't think anyone would be surprised by that news. And like I mentioned, FDA inspected only a quarter of what it had hoped in fiscal 2021 for device firms. Um, So how do you see this backlog affecting inspection priority and planning for 2022 and 2023 and beyond? 
bottom line, FDA has got to make the donuts. Those backlogged inspections have to get done. Will FDA have new device inspections prior for 2022 and 2023? Yes. Will those priorities be limited by the thousands of inspections awaiting action? Yes. Now, look, I wish that there was a Harry Potter spell to make the inspection backlog go away. But as best I can tell, the solution is hard work, diligence, and long hours. It's a slog. The exception will be areas of specific need, meaning more than surveillance inspections. So whether we're talking about directed for cause or similar inspections, FDA will get them done. And those inspections won't be backburnered by the inventory that's built up in recent years. And if there's a public health risk, I stand behind that assessment times 10. No way does FDA hamstring public health protection with an inspection backlog. Okay, let's switch gears here and talk about Bob Califf's nomination to head the FDA as commissioner. Obviously, you're pretty keen on his nomination, as you've mentioned in a previous Speaking of MedTech podcast. But here we are heading for the end of January already, and Califf still hasn't been installed. His nomination did clear a key Senate hurdle on January 13th, but, you know, we're still waiting. And there are several Republicans who are refusing to vote for Califf because he backs a recent FDA policy that made it easier for people to have access to abortion drugs. Well, some Democrats won't vote for him because they say he's too close to pharma. So some kinks to work out. So what's the deal here? When will we have a new, well, actually, I guess an old commissioner because Kayla's been in the position before, but really, when do you think this will be a done deal? Uh, President Biden has been in office for a year now. It's bordering on ridiculous. We're well past the ridiculous border, Sean. At this point, we're homesteading in the middle of ridiculous country. Agreed. But I think that we'll see an official, congressionally approved commissioner soon, meaning January or February at the latest. The administration wanted to get Dr. Califf through Senate confirmation last year, but that goal came and went. In the interim, though, as you point out, Dr. Califf has met with senators and appeared for Senate hearings. And he now has broad bipartisan support, despite objections from some senators. But rest assured, Dr. Califf will be confirmed as the next FDA commissioner. Are we there yet? No. But at this point, I think we're just dotting administrative I's and crossing administrative T's. Okay, let's assume Califf is finally installed. Um, What will his confirmation mean to CDRH? How will the device center be affected? I talked about this topic in my recent op-ed for MedTech Insight, Sean, and I stick by my answer there because I think it's right. Dr. Kalis' selection as FDA commissioner won't materially disrupt CDRH operations. That's because Jeff Shuren, the CDRH director, is a known entity who's been in his job for more than a decade. Is he flawless? Of course not. But he's ably led the device center through the pandemic, a massive reorganization, and countless product reviews. Dr. Califf is not going to look at Jeff and say, I need to tell him how to do his job. Still, Dr. Califf's role is essential. FDA needs to repair some of the damage done by its handling of COVID, and the agency deserves more credit in the press, in Congress, and elsewhere for its work. These gaps are made worse when there's no FDA leader telling the agency's story. As I wrote in my op-ed, quote, The commissioner will highlight and elevate the FDA's COVID-19 efforts, 
back the agency's public health role and campaign for adequate funding, end quote. Okay, let's talk a few moments about digital devices. Um, we dedicated a whole Speaking of MedTech podcast to this topic back in November. Um, it was episode four, if anyone listening wants to check it out. So I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but what do you see as some digital priorities the Device Center will have this year? I think that CDRH's big push will be clarifying where it will change its regulatory approaches to accommodate digital technology and where it won't. And what I mean by this is what are the areas within the device center's control that it can modify when needed to promote digital device development? When we talked about this last, I used the example of agile product development. This is an iterative model in which changes happen in real time in response to product and customer needs. Agile differs from traditional device design, which is more formal, staged, and infrequent. CDRH knows that holding digital devices to the traditional design model just won't work. So the center is telling device makers, use Agile or other models to design your devices if that makes sense. We'll accept these new approaches as ways to satisfy device design requirements. That's a decision squarely within CDRH's discretion. What we won't see are changes in basic regulatory requirements. CDRH isn't going to tell anybody, including digital device makers, you don't need to comply with device approval, quality, or post-market reporting requirements. The how of compliance is open for discussion. The fundamental compliance requirements are not. What about the agency's Digital Health Center of Excellence? What kind of things do you think we'll see from that center in 2022? The Digital Health Center of Excellence is going to continue this year doing what it did last year. That means it will be convener, intermediary, and facilitator for digital devices. So first, the Digital Health Center can be super valuable to CDRH staff. It's unrealistic to expect this staff to be digital experts. So when digital questions come up, the Digital Health Center can advise on technical topics, policy implications, and possible solutions. Ultimately, Device Center staff makes the call on product decisions. So having deep expertise from the Digital Health Center to inform those decisions is invaluable. Let's also talk about the facilitator rule. This means that the Digital Health Center helps device makers get submissions through review and can even advocate for results that benefit industry. So let's say that I'm a digital device maker with a product that's different from conventional devices. Of course, CDRH decides whether my product comes to market, and I have to satisfy requirements for product review, manufacturing, adverse event reporting, and so on. But there's a rule in this mix for the Digital Health Center. Staff there can advise me of device center positions and practices that affect my product, and staff can help me engage CDRH reviewers, for example, explaining my product's technology and how it meets regulatory requirements. 2022 will see this model put into practice with even more attention to digital devices. Device center staff must understand whether these digital devices meet regulatory requirements and where there's room for regulatory give. Addressing these questions is a digital health center sweet spot, so I expect to see staff there actively engaged when these questions arise. And what priorities will industry have this year when it comes to digital? I think that the most interesting development will be smart companies deciding where digital engagement is beneficial and where it makes no sense. 
So here's the backdrop. Think Lord of the Rings and digital is the precious. It's bright and shiny. Everybody's talking about it and everybody wants a piece. To be fair, digital doesn't make you invisible and it doesn't consume your soul. In reality, digital makes a lot of sense in some cases and much less in others. Does digital technology magnify a doctor's ability to interpret an abnormal biopsy? Absolutely. Does digital reduce the infection risk in reusable catheters? I'm not so sure. Savvy device makers will be asking similar questions this year. Where do digital devices make sense? Where do healthcare providers prefer them? Where will CMS pay for them? And where is the digital juice just not worth a squeeze? Okay, this is a lot to chew on, so it's probably time to wrap up this episode. But before we go, I have to ask, do you think the FDA will put out its long-awaited quality system regulation this year? You know, we reported at MedTechInsight.com that there was finally some good news on January 5th when the agency sent the draft retold QSR to the White House Office of Management and Budget, or OMB, um, for regulatory review. So, you know, that's super promising. And it seems to indicate that industry, after all these years, could see the draft in 2022. Well, the angels aren't singing yet, but it seems like they're warming up. That OMB sign-off is a necessary procedural hurdle before FDA publishes the draft regulation for public comment. Does this mean that FDA is ready to push go on harmonized quality system requirements? Not by a long shot. First, OMB has to clear the draft rule. Then FDA has to publish it with time for public comment. Then FDA needs to consider those comments and, if appropriate, revise the rule. And then FDA needs to publish the revised final rule. But once we have a final rule, we're done, right? Uh, Not so fast. Even after the final rule publishes, we can expect a long transition period to allow for FDA staff training, public education, IT updates, and other components that a harmonized framework requires. I expect OMB clearance this year, but don't look for a final effective rule before 2024 at the earliest. So that stinks. But still, we're making progress, even if our timeline is slightly slower than what it took the glaciers to make the Grand Canyon. Um, In fairness, CDRH has been a bit sidetracked fighting a global pandemic, and the device center has never deviated from its commitment to harmonize the quality system regulation with ISO 13485. So we're going to see that harmonization eventually. Okay, then. Fair enough. We'll just set this tight, I guess, and see what happens. And with that, we'll close out today's podcast. You can catch our next episode of Speaking of MedTech in a few weeks when our focus will be on real-world evidence, what it is, what it means for medical devices, and why you should care. And you can check out the first five episodes of Speaking of MedTech online now at MedTechInsight.com. And while you're there, listen to MedTech Insight's weekly Device Week podcast, where our journalists talk about current events in the MedTech space. It's good stuff. And always remember, you can follow us on Twitter at MedTech underscore Insight. Until next time, thanks for listening.